Mr. Mayor, would you raise your right hand, please, and repeat after me, stating your name. I. I, Francis Slay. Solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States. Solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the State of Missouri. The Constitution of the State of Missouri. And the Charter and Laws of the City of St. Louis. And the Charter and Laws of the City of St. Louis. That's outgoing Mayor Francis Slay at his first inaugural in April 2001. He'd be sworn in with similar words in 2005, 2009, and 2013, and he leaves office later this month after 16 years in the city's top job. Slay announced his decision a year ago in his typical low-key, no-frills style. I will not be a candidate for mayor next year. To forestall some questions, this is not a goodbye. I'm going to be mayor for another year. I will have a full and likely controversial agenda to pursue and complete. My health is fine. Slay is a youthful 61 and the city's longest serving mayor since St. Louis was founded in 1764. In many ways, he's St. Louis personified. This is the Millennium Mayor, an exploration of Francis Slay's legacy in St. Louis. I'm your host, Rachel Lipman. St. Louis Public Radio's Joe Manis has covered Slay during most of his years in public life. And so to kick off our in-depth look into Slay's legacy, Joe is going to give us a look into Slay himself as he and others view him. So, Joe, what are some of the key things that we all need to know about Francis Slay? From the get-go, you need to know that his grandfather, Joseph R. Slay, was an immigrant from what is now the country of Lebanon. His mother was the daughter of Polish immigrants. He's Catholic. He's one of 11 kids. His family has deep ties to St. Raymond's Marionite Cathedral, which is near downtown. Now, for decades, his family ran a prominent restaurant called Slay's that was started by his grandfather. It specialized in meat and seafood, and it was known in the 1950s and 60s because it was one of the few white-owned restaurants in the city that served African-Americans. That practice contributed to the family's early, friendly relations with many African-American civic and political leaders. And that's something that stands in sharp contrast with later tensions between the mayor and the black community. And we are going to get into that in a later episode. All right. So I got to ask the St. Louis question. Where did Slay go to high school? (laughs) He attended St. Mary's on South Grand. But more important for our purposes is that Slay's family has been one of the city's oldest political dynasties. How so? Okay, his grandfather, Joseph, actually briefly served as an alderman. Slay's dad, Francis R. Slay, served two terms in the Missouri House and seven years as the city's recorder of deeds. The elder Slay, who died in 2011, was probably best known as the powerful 23rd Ward Democratic Committeeman. That was a job that he held for 45 years. And are there other connections that we kind of need to know about to understand this? Yes. The mayor also is related to a number of the region's other political players. And Slay has his own lengthy political resume. The mayor first spent 16 years at the Board of Aldermen, either as an alderman or as board president. So all told, he spent 32 years in public life at City Hall. Okay, so you could take away from that that he was kind of being groomed for the mayor's office from a pretty early age. Well, from his standpoint, not really. Being mayor was never in Slay's personal plan. 
In fact, when he was young, he was a star soccer player and attended college on a sports scholarship. He often still jokes that he only went to St. Louis University Law School after he realized he was never going to make it as a pro soccer player. Now, Slay talked about this sort of mixed view of being mayor during his 2001 inaugural address. On election day, someone asked me what it was like to have my dream come true. The fact is, being mayor was never my dream or my ambition. My dream has always been, and still is, to make a difference in the city of my birth. So how does that compare to some of the mayors that he followed in office? Well, the city's other more recent multi-term mayors, I'm thinking Vince Shamel and A.J. Cervantes, were much more flashy than Slay. He's frequently been neck deep in issues, but he really prefers to leave the spotlight to others. I mean, I've heard a lot of people joke that Jeff Rainford, his confidant and longtime chief of staff, was Slay's temper, his, his anger translator, his Luther. Yeah, a lot of people say it. The mayor prefers to leave the public display of passion to his staff. So, I mean, would the people who know him and worked with him kind of agree with that assessment? I think so. Former St. Louis Alderman Mike Jones, who went on to hold a number of posts in the city and county, offers what I think is really great insight into how Slay has operated. First of all, I give uh, Mayor Slay extraordinary uh, high marks as a functioning politician, that getting elected mayor four times in any city is no small feat. And I think Mayor Slay, by temperament and disposition, what he is is an excellent political mechanic or contractor. And he manages and builds effectively whatever is in front of him. What Mayor Slay never was nor pretended to be was a political architect. In 2001, when Slay won his first term, many thought that's what the city needed somebody who knew how to be a manager. What do you mean? Well, in 2001, we were coming off two one-term mayors, Freeman Bosley Jr., who had been the city's circuit clerk, followed by former police chief Clarence Harmon. Both were the city's first two African-American mayors, and so far the only. Both administrations dealt with a number of headaches, although race really didn't have anything to do with their problems. Bosley, for example, came under fire because of missteps, some pretty dramatic, by several members of his staff. And this is something that Bosley, who lost Harmon in 1997, acknowledged when he announced in 2001 that he was going to run again in hopes of getting his job back. My accomplishments were overshadowed by my failure, and some would say lack of oversight, by not monitoring the activities of those that I entrusted to assist me in implementing my vision. So if Slade really hadn't dreamed of being mayor, like if this wasn't his life plan, if this wasn't what he wanted to do, why did he end up running for the job? Well, you need to kind of remember where St. Louis was in 2001. The St. Louis Rams were at their peak during that period when the football team was known as the greatest show on turf. They just won one Super Bowl and were runner-ups in a second. No, he cannot! Mike Jones made the tackle! And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. 
that regional euphoria fed into expectations that the city of St. Louis, especially downtown around the Dome, needed to reflect that same spirit. Uh, and there was a lot of civic leaders who had been critical of how City Hall, they thought, was failing to take the lead in all this and what they hoped would be an urban renaissance. And they became disillusioned with Bosley. So the business community and many of the city's Republicans then turned to Harmon, who was the respected police chief. But after winning election in 1997, Harmon quickly was tagged, fair or unfair, as indecisive and weak. So in 2001, many of the city's civic and business leaders pressured Slay, who was then Board of Alderman president, into running. Weren't they kind of setting him up for almost this impossible situation? I mean, they're asking this white man to run against Harmon and Bosley, who were the city's first two African-American mayors. They sure did. Slay had not expected to run in 2001 against both Bosley and Harmon in the Democratic primary. In fact, he had announced before Bosley did. So he tried to emphasize early on and very publicly that he wanted to stay away from any hint of racial politics. Still, the final vote tallies showed otherwise. Exit polls showed that most of the whites voted for Slay, most of the blacks for Bosley. Harmon, who had been running for re-election, was almost completely shut out. He collected less than 15 percent of the primary vote. Oh, that, that must have stung. Yes. But Harmon offered a very conciliatory note in his concession speech. I send out my congratulations to uh, Francis on his victory. I don't want him and you to know that I stand ready to help him and our city any way I can with the hard but noble task of riding our ship of state and seeing our city on to greater times. Still, the racially charged underpinnings of that 2001 contest have come back to haunt Slay periodically. And that's absolutely something we're going to be looking at in a future episode, so stay tuned. Okay, so we're now to April 2001. Slay's in office. He's been sworn in. What are some of the first things that he did? What did he do right out of the gate? Well, Slay's campaign pitch had centered primarily on a pledge to restore competence at City Hall. So with that in mind, Slay Chief of Staff Mary Ellen Ponder says his initial achievements were twofold. He restored integrity to the mayor's office, and he also restored relevance to the mayor's office. Before his first year was over, Slay was highlighting the signs of a possible downtown renaissance, such as a new Cardinal Stadium. But he also was dealing with the political fallout from how his administration handled the redrawing of boundary lines for the city's 28 wards, which did become racially polarized. Now, from the beginning, he was upfront about his general approach in dealing with most issues. Here he is discussing it on St. Louis on the Air in 2001, just months after he was sworn in. What you need to do is take a leadership role. You need to be able to do the right thing. There's going to be some people kicking and, 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 um, kicking and screaming and complaining about how we handle this and everything else. Slay also acknowledged that he was really surprised how much he was enjoying the job, even though it had never really been his dream. I knew I was going to, I knew that I not only wanted the job, but that I would like the job. And so I would say that, um, uh, but I, it seems like I like it even more than I thought I was going to like it. Slay brought in a bunch of new staff members. Many of them stayed with him throughout much of his 16-year tenure. Chief of Staff Ponder, for example, has been with Slay's office for eight years in various jobs. She ties her loyalty to his character. 
What I what I really love and respect about Mr. Mayor is uh, is that no matter what you think of where he is on an issue, you know where he is. You don't ever have to guess the mayor's position on an issue. And that's never changed, and that's what I, I, I wish we had in all of our elected leaders. Are there other staffers like that? Yeah, Robin Wabi. She's Slay's former deputy chief of staff, and now she's the founding executive director of the Missouri Charter Public School Commission. She affectionately recalls the mayor's crazy schedule, he often works weekends, and his personal regimen. The guy is, uh, I don't know when he sleeps, and everybody who knows him knows that he doesn't eat any of the garbage food. <laughs> he's, he's a real disciplined, uh, real disciplined individual. Now, she's referring in part to Slay's eating habits. For years, he has subsisted primarily, and I mean this, on protein drinks, energy bars, and apples. Okay, I got to ask, what is it with disciplined politicians and apples? Because you hear all of these <laughs> legends about Mike Madigan up in <laughs> Illinois, the long-term Speaker of the House, only subsisting on apples, but that's a complete and total non-sequitur <laughs> for this podcast. Anyways, you've got this really disciplined mayor. He's making early headway on development. What were some of the other things that he tried to tackle in that first term? Well, Slay had made a point of trying to fulfill a campaign promise that he made in 2001 to attend as many school board meetings as he could. He wanted to show that he was very keenly interested in improving public education, although the mayoral powers are limited. Now, on social issues, he surprised many when he forged a path early on in support of gay rights. In 2001, he's openly campaigning for support from the LGBTQ community. I traveled with him to several gay bars, and he has acknowledged that several of his relatives are gay or lesbian. And we'll get into all of these issues in future episodes of the podcast. So he comes in and it sounds like things are kind of hunky-dory in the city. But is he looking at anything that's a little bit more institutional that he's going to have to start grappling with? Yes, I'd say the city's money troubles, which still linger. Slay sought to trim costs early on by reducing City Hall's workforce and by tackling its long-standing problems with city pensions. There are more former city workers collecting pensions right now than there are city employees, if you include the city's police force and the firefighters. And the next mayor, I think, is facing something like a $20 million budget shortfall as soon as he or she takes office. Yes. Now, former Mayor Shamel, who served 12 years as mayor from 1981 until 1993 and had some of these same financial problems, ties the city's continued money problems to its loss of population over the past 60 years. The biggest difference I see is the slow growth of St. Louis from 1981 when I became mayor up until today has really just come to define the region. And as a result, the importance of the city in the overall conversation about uh, the St. Louis region has really diminished. Now, former City Board of Aldermen President Jim Shrewsbury, who knows Slay well, offers a more pithy analysis of what the mayor has had to deal with as captain of St. Louis's ship of state. We're like an old boat, a big ship taking in water, and we patch the, the hole, and we get the pumps working, we pump the water out, and then another leak occurs, and we do that. Then while we're working on the third leak, one of the pumps go out. Slay, to his credit, has sought throughout his tenure to exude optimism, sprinkled with some realism. Here's the mayor in his 2007 State of the City address. Finding our way back has taken time 
money, and plenty of hard work and cooperation. But the job is not done yet, and I know we all realize that. And that's the point of this podcast, to look at how well the mayor did at finishing the job. Our next episode zeroes in on Slay's continued quest to improve public education in the city, a problem that many people blame for some of the city's population losses. Although the St. Louis mayor has little direct control over education, Slay has managed to wield a lot of influence for what some see as good and bad. That's coming up next time on The Millennium Mayor. You can find the awesome web build out for this podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash millennium mayor. <laughs>